Well, um, we do, uh, we are excited that you're here today. Uh, we are going to make much of our Lord and Savior. And so uh, you can go ahead and flip over in your copy of God's Word uh, to Luke chapter, uh, chapter 15. That's where we'll, uh, we'll, we'll camp out and spend our time today. And so some of you are showing up today and are like, what in the world? Where is Alan? Why are these crying babies on stage? Um, and all I can say is God is sovereign. Um, and so um, Alan is on vacation. Uh, he'll be back next Sunday as we... Uh, um, we're back worshiping the Lord, uh, so I'll be back with us next Sunday. Um, I do, I failed to mention this in early service, uh, Jeremy and Tara uh, are with, uh, with some students, some college students, not college students, the Russell girls aren't in college, um, but there's uh, six folks, six adults um, in uh, Spain today, worshiping uh, and leading and serving, and so be in prayer for them this week as they are across um, that's the Atlantic Ocean, uh, serving this morning and so uh, this week. And so this morning we do find ourselves um, looking at Luke chapter 15, and I've entitled this morning's sermon, Who Do You Think You Are? Who do you think you are? And this comes, many of you are familiar with where we're finding ourselves. We concluded our fourth term of life groups uh, yesterday, actually, as we had a, uh, a service day, a work day. Uh, and that's one of the elements that we've intentionally built in to life groups is uh, serving as a, as a community, as a group of people, because we believe adamantly that God's Word um, instructs and teaches us that we don't just sit on a pew and just soak up who God is, but when we understand what God has done for us vertically, it influences and spurs our horizontal relationship with man and with others. And so uh, yesterday we had uh, just uh, an army of you guys that were here serving all over our campus doing a myriad of, uh, of projects uh, from cleaning the fellowship hall to pressure washing to uh, cleaning signs to um, mulching and throwing uh, straw and uh, changing light bulbs and I don't know I probably left out some other things that were done uh, but just a ton of work was done yesterday and so I just on behalf of the church and on behalf of the staff want to say a huge thank you uh, to so many of you that came and did such a great job serving I especially want to recognize Wes Sharp who did a phenomenal job of of um, mobilizing uh, several folks to to get our like it seems like 10,000 different flower beds uh, up to par and so uh, man it was a great day laboring uh, somebody told Stephanie, she was telling me last night, somebody said, you know, it's just great to see these people. I don't normally see these, engage with these people, but to, to be throwing mulch with them and hanging out and talking and meeting different pe people of different ages, uh, because we had uh, children to senior adults, uh, men and women from various uh, ministries of our church serving together, and it was cool. It was, it was a neat picture of what the church is. And so uh, thank you so much for all that you did yesterday specifically. But Life Groups isn't just about service projects. Life Groups is about engaging in the Word of God uh, in the cozy confines of someone's home. And so uh, this, this semester, this term rather, we had 15 different life groups that were uh, led by 54 uh, men and women, uh, either as a host home or as a facilitator, that were engaging people of all ages 
uh, in the Word of God, and we looked at this parable that we're going to look at here in just a minute. And so this morning, what, what I wanted to do was, was kind of tie a bow on where we've been for the last seven weeks as a church uh, and get everybody that wasn't able to participate in the life group because of life circumstances, uh, get us all on the same page as we continue to move forward because we are a body. We, we roll together. And so we want to know and to, to study God's Word uh, together. And so this morning, we're going to find ourselves uh, in Luke uh, chapter 15, and we're looking at um, what is oftentimes called um, the parable of the prodigal son. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But uh, before we read uh, Luke 15 verses 11 to 32, back up with me to verses 1 and 2. Because I believe we have to find uh, the context for which this parable finds itself. So if you'll, if you'll look with me in your copy of God's Word, Luke chapter 15, we'll read the first two verses and then uh, read the parable. Now... The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Drop down uh, over a couple of parables to, um, well, where am I at? There we go, sorry, turn two pages, I apologize. Verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And as he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. <clears throat> I will arise, and I'll go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and he drew near the house, and he, he heard the music and the dancing, and he called one of his servants, and he asked what, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28. But, but he was angry. And he refused to go in. 
His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Who do you think you are? This morning, we're going to try to quickly move through this parable and look at three different characters. But this morning, the question that I really want us to contemplate is, who do you think you are? As we break down this parable, and I know Alan's walking through the Gospel of Mark and done a phenomenal job, um, you know, parables are often difficult to, to look at and to study because we can get into trouble if we try to press into it too much and we try to find things that really aren't in Jesus' teaching because when Jesus is teaching the, the parables, it's, it's Jesus just going about in his intentional purpose and he's, he's doing life and when things happen, he instantly speaks into them. And so this is a reminder for us as Christians that our Christianity isn't just a segment of time on Sunday mornings where we allot God like an hour, maybe two hours. Maybe we do like come back on Sunday night if we're super spiritual or we're super committed and we come back on Wednesday, right? That's, you know, I'm being facetious. And, and we, we set aside these special times to let God like speak to us or to be in his presence. But then the rest of our weeks we say, well, that's my time. I do with that time what I want to do. Well, that's not Christianity. That's not what God's Word says at any level or on any page. And so the parables are a reminder to us that when we're doing life, that God and the Spirit just ought to ooze out of us as we're just doing normal things, doing the normacy of life. And so we see Jesus embodying this as only Jesus can in a perfect manner, right? And he, he's teaching this parable, but we, we need to understand who is Jesus teaching? What is he talking about? Because we have to understand the context that Jesus is sharing from so that we can, we can read in 2019 through the lens that Jesus is communicating so that we can understand how to apply to our life today. And so, so when we look at this, that's why I wanted to read verses 1 and 2 because I believe Luke there sets up the, the context. He sets up the, the, um, the audience of who Jesus is talking to. And so who do we see in verses 1 and 2? Well, I think we see two groups of people. We see group one is the tax collectors and sinners. Group two is the Pharisees and scribes. So group one, the, the tax collectors and sinners, we know a lot about tax collectors, or maybe some of us don't. And so, uh, sidebar, if you're ever in a setting 
uh, especially in a, in a spiritual setting, whether it be Sunday school or uh, be a small group or whatever, and whoever's teaching says something that like they just assume, and I'm the world's worst at this, of assuming people know what I know, which I, that's dangerous for you guys. Um, but, you know, don't ever be ashamed or embarrassed to raise your hand and be like, what are you even talking about? Okay? Because any teacher worth his salt would be willing, he or she would be willing to unpack that and help explain what's going on. Okay? And so when... <clears throat> Jesus is talking to these tax collectors, and so I'm going to make some assumptions, but you feel free to hit me up or, or talk to me later. But Jesus is talking to the tax collectors, and the tax collectors in, in Jesus' day were much different than our IRS agents, right? Like we all know, like tax day's coming, and we're like, oh, shoot, it, you know, I forgot to set aside money, and uh, where am I going to get the money, right? And so, so we, we feel that weight a little bit. But in Jesus' day, the tax collectors were, were much different, right? Because the tax collector... Uh, collected a portion of money to send off to Rome, but they also could do whatever they wanted to. There was no uh, governing body over them making sure that they are um, operating at a fair basis. And so they could skim off the top, and so if they had to send 5% to Rome, they could come to your house and take 20% from you. They keep 15 and send 5 to Rome, right? And so you, you saw this... Um, this <clears throat> greed often, uh, and that's why tax collectors are often not spoken of in a positive light in Jesus' day. But not only that, they were traitors to their countrymen, right? Because they were Jews that had sold out their countrymen for the Roman Empire, right? And so they were working for the enemy, all right? And so, <clears throat> so you see, um, we, we know some of those things about tax collectors. The other thing, the other group that we see in group one, <clears throat> excuse me, is Jesus refers to them as tax collectors and sinners, okay? Almost like there's some tax collectors and there's some sinners here, okay? And so we're like, well, you know, who isn't a sinner, right? Well, I understand you. However, the way Jesus phrases this is it's more than just someone who has sinned, but it is someone who is devoted to sinning, okay? So not the occasional sinner, but someone who is devoted to sin. And so, which makes me kind of stop and think, what are you devoted to? I wonder, what do my neighbors think that I'm devoted to? Let that sink in for a minute. What would people say you're devoted to? It may not be sin, but is it something other than Christ? So, there's this tax collectors and sinners, they're group one. And then group two is the Pharisees and scribes. Pharisees were an important Jewish sect at the time of Jesus that was devoted to exact observance of the Jewish religion. And so we talked a lot about the Pharisees. I won't, be, um, I won't belabor that, but I do want to kind of press into the scribes a little bit. Because the scribes in ancient Israel were learned men whose business was to study the law transcribe it, write commentaries on it. The scribes took their job of preserving Scripture very seriously. They would copy and recopy the Bible meticulously, even counting letters and spaces to ensure that each copy was correct. And so we oftentimes dog the scribes, which we will hear in a minute. However, we also ought to praise the scribes because of their meticulous nature our Old Testament is pristine. It is, it is handed down over many, many years. 
in very succinct form because of their OCD nature as scribes. And so they got that part right. Now, we'll talk about some of the things they missed. So, the scribes went beyond interpretation of Scripture, however, and they added many man-made traditions to what God had said. They became professionals at spelling out the letter of the law while ignoring the spirit behind it. They were more interested in appearing good to men than they were in pleasing God. What an indictment. So we have these two groups. Group one is the tax collectors and sinners. Group two, the Pharisees and scribes. By all counts, we have good guys and bad guys, right? We, like, we understand that today when, you know, we, we root for the good guys, mostly, um, and we feel that paradox somewhat when we're watching a movie and we find ourselves being like rooting for the bad guy, right? We're like, I'm not supposed to root for the bad guy, but that character is just so, you know. And so we, we know intrinsically at some level we root for the good guys. Well, the good guys in our story are the, the Pharisees and the scribes. They were good. They were good dudes. Like they, they, they had it together. They were good. The bad guys are the tax collectors, and the sinners. And so Jesus is talking to these groups of people, and they would have known that about themselves. Like, there wasn't this kind of uh, bait and switch and kind of smoke and mirrors world that we live in today where we try to make people think one thing and we're actually doing something else, right? They, they understood uh, their road that they were in, and they were, they were living it. And so we come to, to the parable, and, and we, we see uh, Jesus uh, confront all of this. You see, Jesus is, is speaking to these, these guys, these good guys and bad guys. And I wonder, who do we see ourselves in? I've been con- convicted. I'm, the more I read God's Word, just the more I'm convicted of, of how wretched and, and worthless I am in and of myself. And, and here recently, I was in... I was in a Sunday school class, and Jack Dishner's Sunday school class, as I was just going around and hanging out in different Sunday school classes and, and seeing what's going on and, and listening. And, and Jack was, was teaching this week on Numbers 13 and 14. As we, as a church, walk through God's Word <clears throat> to try to understand uh, what God's Word tells us and how it points to Christ and how we make sense of that in our day and age. And Jack was doing a great job going through Numbers 13 and 14. And, of course, all of us know what Numbers 13 and 14 talks about. Uh, right, none of us do, and that's okay. I wouldn't have either. But Numbers 13 and 14 talks about the spies, right, the spies that went into the Promised Land, all right? And so, hey, just so you don't, like, get confused, like, some people don't even know what the Promised Land is, and that's okay. That's our job as people that do know to explain those things. But that's another story for another day. But anyway, so these 12, tri- or these 12 spies, one from each tribe, went to spy out the land. They came back and they all told like glaring, or glowing reports, right? They were all like, man, it's great. It's amazing. Like the land, it really is like these grapes and these pomegranates, like all this stuff. And they're just like, it's awesome. And then 10 of the 12 said, it's awesome, but... We can't, we can't do it. Like, there's, just, there's, there's warriors and there's villages and there's people and they're big and they're strong and they're, you know, we can't do that. And Caleb and Joshua, the other two, said, what? Yeah, that's true, but God said. And so since God said, that eliminates everything else. So we're going to go. And, and the people, 
You remember what the people did? The people were like, oh, yeah, you guys are right. God did say that. Let's no, they got ticked off. They weren't just like, ah, that's your opinion. They were so mad, they picked up rocks and were ready to execute them for wanting to be faithful and obedient to God. And then they say to Moses, this dude who has, he literally lays his life on the line for them time and time again. He said, we don't want you anymore. We want to go back to Egypt. We want another leader. We want to go back under the hand of Pharaoh. Yeah, we know that God killed all those Egyptians in the Red Sea and we saw their bodies floating and we saw all that, but we still don't believe that our God can do what he says he's going to do. So we want to go back to slavery. And Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb are just like shaking. You know, you can just, as you read the text, you can just see them just going, what? And, and it hit me. I'll say all this to say, it hit me that day as Jack was teaching this lesson that, you know, who, who, do, I, who do I relate with when I bring that story? I, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, kind of Joshua, Caleb, and I'm like, well, you know, kind of pastor, so probably more like Moses or Aaron, you know, and so I'm, thinking about God I wish you'd convict all these Israelites and just get their lives right and it'd be so much easier and and then God like smacks me with a two by four and it's like are you kidding me who do you think you are four dudes were willing to be faithful and to to be obedient to God four dudes versus the city of Houston we're not talking about 20 or 30 maybe 600 people we're talking about millions of people most likely that are out there in the wanderings. Some estimate it at the size of the current day status of Houston. Four dudes. Let's just play the odds. Let's play the lottery odds here. Are we going to win? We're not Moses or Aaron or Caleb or Joshua. Scott is not. Scott is an Israelite who has pathetic, weak faith. And it hit me in that moment to go, my faith is so weak. I would have been the one grumbling and complaining and saying, let's go back. We, I don't think we can do it. I just, and I just wonder, friends, when we read God's word, do we, do we empathize with the zero or the hero? We think we're heroes. Our spouse will quickly tell you that we are no hero. But we have a hard time hearing that and seeing that ourselves. And we see that embodied in this, in this text, I think. And I'm, we got to move quickly. But, but as, we, as we walk through the, the parable, we see the, 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 the uh, verse 11 tells us, and he said there was a man who had two sons. And then he goes on to, to talk about it. I'm not going to reread all of it. But so we got, we got a father and we got two sons. So we got these three characters that Jesus is, is, is leaning into in this, in this parable. And I, I don't like calling it the parable of the prodigal son. Because that's, that gets me off the hook when I read this text. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But we see that the, the first character is the, the younger son. And, and in the younger son, we see that he goes to his dad and he embarrasses his dad and he, he shames him and his culture and his context. He says, Dad, I'd, I'd rather you be dead. Don't just go ahead and give me, your, give me my money so I can go do what I want to do and don't just have to like, live under your regime anymore. And so the dad says, all right, and he gives him the money, and the boy takes off, and he goes. And then the boy uh, comes to his senses. After all the money's gone, he's literally in a pig pit, and he thinks, you know what? It would be better to be a slave for my father than to be in this pigsty. And so he's working out his response to his dad, like, I'm going to go home and grovel, and, and maybe my dad will let me be a slave. Let me work for him. 
And so maybe I can begin to pay off my debt. Maybe I can begin to, to pay back all that I took. But it would just be better to be under his regime than to be out here in the world. And so the boy he humbles himself and he, and he starts toward home. And the, the story tells us that the father, the father is, is looking and he sees his son from afar. And it says that he just like sees him and he's like, oh, I wonder if he'll come and come talk to me. Or maybe he'll go talk to his brother. Who's he going to see first? And, uh, no, it doesn't say that at all, does it? It says that the father sees the son and he makes a beeline to him. He's looking for him, and he runs to him. He doesn't wait for him to, to apologize. He doesn't wait for him to admit he's wrong. He doesn't wait for any of that. He sees his son, and he runs. And so you, if, you've, if you've looked at this, you understand that running in that culture and in that context, that wasn't, that wasn't cool. That wasn't, that wasn't socially acceptable. The father was shaming himself by running. That's not what men did in that day. They didn't have gym memberships, and they didn't turn into personal trainers in their mid-60s. Like, they, they did not do those things. And so he runs. He runs after his son. Why? Because he doesn't give a flip about society. He cares about his son. And he sees him, and he runs. And in my mind, I just read this, and I, I don't think he runs up to him. He's like, hi, you know, it's good to see you, buddy. I mean, I think he just trucks him. Right? I mean, he's running with full force, and he's never run brilliant before in his life, and he doesn't know how to use his brakes, and he just clobbers him, right? And he, they barrel roll, and he's hugging him, he's kissing him, and he's, you know, just he's wrecked because he loves his son, and he runs after him. And there's so much we could uh, just jump into on this about how, how he clothes him with his garments, and we can look about the imagery of God our Father who clothes us. Brandon prayed about it already. We're clothed in his righteousness. Like we see all that imagery taking place here. But I really don't even want to focus on the first son or the father. I want to focus on the third son because I think the third son is you and me. Because when we get to the third son, what happens? The father has made a fool of himself running after this son that was an idiot. He was a punk. He was a rebel. He was a sinner. But the dad loves him, and he runs after him, and he brings shame to his family because of the way he treats his son. And the older brother, when he comes home and he hears the music, and he, he sees what's going on, he smells it, and he's like, what's going on? And, and one of his servants comes up to him and says, your brother, he's, he's home. And what, how, how does the older brother look? What does the text tell us? How does the older brother respond? He says, but he was angry. He was angry in verse 28 and refused to go in. Friends, how often do we get angry when God lavishes his love and his grace on other people that we think need the thumb of God? I know none of you would be like, oh, I know what you're talking about. No, because you're like, oh, shoot, that was me yesterday. Oh, man, that's a... He's angry. He's angry because his, son, his brother came home and his father loved him? Are you serious? He was angry, and he refused to go in. And I, I the, you know, I've struggled with this parable for years because I'm, I'm like the elder brother. No, I was, I was born biologically to my mom and dad as the youngest of two brothers. But I've lived my life like the elder brother my whole life, like, I learned at an early age, like, yes, sir, no, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, like how to please others, how to submit to authority. 
I, I, I've never been drunk. I've never tried illegal drugs. I've never fornicated. I've, I've, I've done the right things. I've never got suspended from school. Like, I've been the elder son. Like, I, I showed up to church. I, I know to wear a suit. Like, I, I've done the things that I know that I need to do. And so when I read this story for years, I'm talking about from like a, a kid, teenager for sure, up until just even recently, and I just like, I just, I can't understand why, why is the elder brother, why is he not promoted? Why is he not like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm loving having your brother home, but older son, like, you're just the apple in my eye, and I'm really proud of you. Like, I love him, but I'm really, pr-. the dad doesn't say that. Why does the dad not say that? Because remember, who's, who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees and, and the scribes and the sinners and the tax collectors. And the sinners and the tax collectors, that's the prodigal, right? They'd gone off, they squandered, they, they'd made a mess of it and a wreck of their life. The scribes and the, and the Pharisees, they, they had it together, right? They, they, they knew when to speak and when to be quiet. And they knew how to, how to be a hard worker and to be diligent and to study and to, to get their life together and keep their life together. They knew those things. And they were doing those things. And Jesus is trying to penetrate them. He's trying to penetrate their tough, hard, calloused exterior to say, you are missing it. You're missing it. And friends, I just just wonder how many of us miss it. We look good on the outside, but we are working and we're plotting and we're scheming and we're trying to look good for men and not for God. I was thinking about this because the, the things that the older brother had going for him, right? He was a hard worker. He was obedient. He had all this stuff going on. These are things like when I drive my son to kindergarten most days of the week, like we pray on our way to school, and I'm praying, hey, God, help Sully and me. Help us to be obedient. Help us to, to, to work hard. Help us uh, to be diligent today. Help us uh, to be um, kind and compassionate. Help us to care for others. Help us to see others like you see them. And it, and it dawned on me that what was missing was this elder brother, his heart was far from God. He had the obedience and the, and the look right, but he wasn't concerned about his heart. And friends, I, I must admit, like, I fail way more often than I get that right. But I'm praying that I teach my sons to have the eyes and the heart of God, not just the exterior of a good boy who loves his mama and Jesus. Do we understand who Christ is. Do we understand what God has done for us? I'm convicted that I fall way too often in the camp of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. When I'm reading God's word and I read through there and I'm, I see the Pharisees and I just think, man, I'm, that's me. I'm guilty of that. Like, I've done that. I've thought that. I've behaved that way. Like, that's, that's me. The pro, I, I, Yes, I've, I was a sinner and I'm worthless and God rescued me like yes I get that spiritually I, I get that with the prodigal son but but I, I've not gone down that road in my life some of you have and you understand that and, and I, I want to say to you that that are living in that world or have been down that road God cares about you God is waiting he is looking he is ready to rescue you he's ready to bring you in to the feast of his fellowship but to those of us that are bent more toward the elder brother I want to encourage you as well. Look at what uh, um, verse 28. After he got angry and refused to go in, his father came out and he entreated him. He entreated him. 
he came out and he, he specifically came out to personally engage his elder son. Friends, I want you to know that God is wanting to personally invite you. He is personally entreating you to, to lay down whatever it is, your, your worldly prestige, your, your, what you think you have to accomplish and be to be successful in this life and to live in this community. He's asking that you lay that junk down and say yes to him. He is so worth it. He is so worth it because everything else pales in comparison. One son accepted the invitation. One son rejected the invitation. I want to leave us with Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 13 go like this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, we're going to close our service a little bit different than we typically do. Uh, we're going to sing two songs, uh, and we're going to sing in response to who God is. If you're here today and, and you want to come forward and you want Tim or I to, to pray with you, we'd love to do that. If you want to come and you want to join the church, we'd love to talk to you about that. But we're going to engage in, in responding, talking about our King, our God, our Lord, our Savior, who has entreated us, and we have said yes to that, God, and it changed everything about our life. It changed everything. It changed our desires, our hopes, our dreams, everything. That's the God we want to close singing about. We want to celebrate who God is and what He has done in His people. And so would you pray with me?